0: At Fidelity, value is automatic, starting with the rate you can get on your cash when you open a new retail brokerage account. Learn more at fidelity.com slash trading. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE SIPC.
1: Welcome to a special West Coast edition of Mad Money. Are the people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not trying just to entertain, but also to educate and teach and put things like this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Well, we're starting a little late tonight but we're watching President Trump and we're gonna put what he said into context for you. So everyone on Wall Street knows that higher interest rates are bad news for the economy. A slower economy translates into weaker profits and weaker profits almost always mean lower stock prices. That's money management 101 for you. Yet when the Federal Reserve tightened today for the eighth time in a row, raising short-term rates by a quarter point, initially the stock market actually rallied as the bulls believed that the Fed Chair Jay Powell is doing the right thing for corporate profits, the real imperative. It was a total "in Fed we trust" moment, and it lasted for all of say about uh, how about 23 minutes. Once the press conference got going with the Fed chief, the sellers took control of the narrative, and the market got slammed. And the Dow ultimately lost 107 points, S&P shedding 0.33 percent, Nasdaq declined. It was like we had two entirely different markets here today. There's the bullish one, where almost nobody seems to care about the Fed rate hike. And some seem to rejoice at the prospects of a sign that the economy must be really strong or else the Fed wouldn't be moving. Then there's one where, let's just call it a bearish one, where investors got worried that profits could be crimped and decided to ring the register. I get it. President Trump said he wasn't happy with the Fed's move, What President wants a weaker economy. He'd rather than focus on job creation, even as we're near full employment. So which move was telling the truth? I think the first reaction made sense, even if it was a little too exuberant. There was nothing scary about today's news. In fact, I hesitate to call it news because it's not like we really had heard anything that we hadn't expected or known. In fact, the only troublesome news I heard all day out of government was some tough posturing just now from our president in that press conference about trade with Canada and a NAFTA revision, and if no deal can be reached with that youth trading partner, profits will come down. That's not in the bullish narrative. It's something we've got to watch, and it's not on key. It's something I know I'm concerned about. But before I explain why I'm not all that troubled by the Fed, at least not yet. Let's go over what's driving both the bull and bear camps here. We'll start with the in Fed we trust" cohort, the group that let us hang in there until late afternoon. Well, what was their thesis? Well, short-term interest rates are still at such low levels, just 2.25%, that the bulls simply don't believe a quarter-point tightening can derail the economy. The Fed also issued a statement declaring that it's going to keep raising rates with another tightening lately come in December, followed by uh, three more next year because the economy's growing a lot faster than they'd previously believed. Anything new there? Not really. The Fed's doing exactly what they said they'd do if the economy kept gaining steam. And look, they're doing the right thing. The Fed recognizes that we're headed for full employment. In fact, we may already be there as we're literally running out of able-bodied to work and say, please, I, we can't find workers in some parts of this country. And once you hit full employment, Well, inflation is rarely far behind. So they use these rate hikes to gradually tap the brakes on the economy. Of course, when the Fed gets too aggressive, like the 17 straight rate hikes, they know nothing leading up to the Great Recession that took us to 5.25%. You know the results can be disastrous, we've seen that. So why weren't the bulls worried before the breakdown? I'm gonna give you four reasons. First, the Fed funds rate, it's at 2.25%. That's less than half of what it was before the financial crisis. Second, the last time the Fed took rates to these levels, it was December of 2004, and the economy was still humming. And I would argue that we're in much better shape now than we were back then. Third, longer-term interest rates, the ones that matter to things like your mortgage, they actually, and frankly, quizzically, went lower. And fourth, Chairman Jay Powell assured us that inflation is still well under control, and he's given us no reason to doubt him so far. If that's the case, why does the Fed need to move at all? Because rates have been extremely low ever since the Great Recession. It's natural that the Fed's going to try to normalize things. It's a a tricky word, normalize, for trying to keep the economy strong, but not so strong that inflation starts getting out of control. And there's the rub. This is an inherently fraught process we're going through right now. If Powell's too hawkish, he could cause a recession. If he's too accommodating, inflation picks up and erodes the purchasing power of the dollar. That's the glass-half-empty perspective. The bearish few that only triggered today's market-ending sell-off. What makes this so confusing is that these different cohorts of investors are actually all acting independently. There are plenty of money managers who fear the pace of the Fed's rate hikes. They're concerned that Powell will be wrong about his ability to create what we call a soft landing, meaning a gentle deceleration rather than a brutal slowdown, particularly when you add in the tariffs, if they just keep piling on. Chairman Powell's like a pilot, and the economy's his plane. A good pilot doesn't want to crash the plane in order to land. But a lot of Wall Street guys don't believe that's even possible. They think we'll have a slowdown. When that happens, hedge funds swap out of the industrials that need a healthy economy to thrive – in other words their stocks to go higher because profits grow higher and instead put their money into healthcare stocks and group this relatively held up nice today that doesn't need a strong economy but this is a real issue even Powell acknowledged that consumer spending for example could be hurt by the rate hikes and the president's tariffs that's not great and that was before we had this new canada wrinkle however other managers are cheering for and agreeing with Powell. they're buying technology stocks They're buying the retailers of all things more than that later in the show. The transports like United Continental more from them later in the show. And, and, And anything that's been doing well of late because well, they think it's business as usual. This is the in Fed we trust camp that got overwhelmed but not across the whole market. Of course, there are are few managers who think the economy can actually accelerate from here. That's putting additional crimp on some of the industrials, as well as the oils. Ooh, man, were they awful. The miners, the minerals, all groups that need strong global growth to go higher. And they were just not in evidence today. Now, I happen to believe that the bullish camp is right right now, pending some new trade blow up. And the bears are making a bit of a mountain out of a 2% and change molehill. I think it won't be long until they have genuine seller's remorse provided the trade simmers. But in reality, that's an oversimplification because this market's gotten darn confusing. Just look at the banks. We figure the banks will do better when rates go higher. That's what we're always told. But unlike virtually every other Fed tightening cycle I've lived through and I've been through a bunch of them, the longer term interest rates simply aren't going higher. Why is that? Frankly, I'm not sure. RATES HERE IN AMERICA ARE STILL A LOT HIGHER THAN MOST OF THE DEVELOPED WORLD, SO MAYBE IT'S FARM MONEY THAT'S POURING IN, KEEPS THE PRICE OF BONDS UP AND RATES LOWER. THE RESULT, WE'RE NOT SEEING A hike IN WHAT'S KNOWN AS THE PRIME RATE. Worse, because the Fed just raised short-term rates. The banks have to pay you more for your deposits, something that the president said of today. But without higher long rates, they can't charge you more for loans. So their margins are going to get squeezed. That's dreadful for their profitability, hence the weakness in the bank stocks today. The financials may be the Achilles heel of this market. I thought they'd be doing better. I was wrong. On the other hand, there's FANG our acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet. To me, out here in San Francisco, FANG represents four stocks that don't need a strong economy to make a killing. These are what we call secular growth stocks with plenty of profits. They're practically impervious to all this big picture macroeconomic stuff. They don't trade with the Fed cycle. And that's why Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix all rallied today. So where does this leave us? We had some very confusing action, but some groups are more reliable load stars than others. Perhaps the most important one is the usually economically sensitive transports. These stocks are the lifeblood of commerce in this country. They're totally levered to a healthy economy. And while the industrials may have gotten hit, the transports managed to rally and rally strongly. Hey, that's a good sign. Here's the bottom line. We've got all of these different forces jockeying for position as money managers shift their bets around even inch hour. And you can expect that jockeying to continue, especially after what the president said tonight about trade. But based on the action today, And what I know about Fed Chief Jerome Powell, I think the big sellers, well, I think they might be making a bit of a mistake. I'm not saying in Fed we trust. That's not me. That's what got the bulls burned. I say in Fed we trust, but verify. And so far, that verifying makes me think that you'll be safe if you sit tight with a diversified portfolio rather than flitting in and out of stocks every time Jay Powell opens his mouth. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Ed in Iowa. Ed. Jim, hey, my dad worked for DuPont when I was a kid, and
0: I was pretty impressed with the uh, safety program they had and how it fit into their business plan. So over the years, I've been investing in DuPont, whenever I had a few extra dollars. And I benefited quite well when the split came with Chemours.
1: And then I benefited, again, quite well with the um, Dow Chemical merger. And now it represents about 20% of my portfolio, Okay. And I'm really looking forward to the next split of the company, but I'm concerned because it hasn't been doing too well because of its primarily uh, an agricultural-based company, right. and the tariffs seem to be hurting it. So I'm curious. Well, you know what? Ed, I, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The tariffs, the president actually addressed the farmers. That uh, is an issue involving DuPont, Dow DuPont. But here's the problem. Today, we got some number cuts having to do with the price of oil. And I thought the number cuts are going to be misdirected and that Ed Breen is doing great with the numbers. I am urging people to sit tight and actually do some buy into weakness like my charitable trust, because I think the three companies that you just mentioned is going to split into are all going to make a lot of money for people. Sit tight. Jerry in Indiana. Jerry.
0: Hello, Jim. First, I want to say I am a lifelong, diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan, as I know you are.
1: And second, you you. you recently commented you were feeling stronger about the dividend of CenturyLink. And given the weakness in the stock the past few days because the CFO resigned, I was wondering if you considered this a good buying opportunity. Thank you. Jerry, I, you're absolutely. I never like it when a CFO resigned. in uh, real money. The book, I said this may be. Uh, it's something you've got to take uh, really great caution on. So I don't want to take back what I said about the dividend because I see the cash flow. But it is disconcerting. I want to know more, and you're right to be worried. All right, don't take one day as gospel. The Fed doesn't have. T- had all that much control over your portfolio's destiny. And that's why I think it's key to have a diversified group of stocks to get through this period. Oh man, money tonight from CBC One Market in San Francisco. Where are the hedge fund managers and trading flocking to trading flocking to? I'm gonna reveal the mechanics of the market, how it works. Then United was once the black sheep of the airline cohort. But with the stock flying to new heights this year, amazingly, is it clear skies ahead for the company? I've got the exclusive with the CEO. And we've got a royal on set. No, not Prince Harry. Cloud King VMware is sitting down with me right here. You're not going to want to miss it. So stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad
1: Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: At Fidelity, we work to get you a better price for every trade. See how much we saved investors last year at fidelity.com slash price improvement. Fidelity Brokered Services, member NYSE SIPC.
1: term bull market like this one and make no mistake we're still very much in bull territory you often see traders investors circling back to groups that have stalled of late these left behind stocks get a new lease on life as money managers just can't resist returning to a tried and true story especially the confusing session like we had today that's why on a day when the averages got slammed in the wake of the fed meeting we still had some unusual pockets of strength Pockets like retail. Look, for the last few weeks, the retailers have gotten shelled based on theoretical fears about the trade war with China and how tariffs will cause the consumer to have less purchasing power. I say theoretical because at least so far, there's been no degradation whatsoever in retail. It's all based on anticipation, which, to be fair, is how the stock market works. The whole point of stocks is they tend to discount future developments ahead of time. This morning, though, we got some incredibly positive retail research from Davidson. It's a boutique firm that's not known for its market-moving potential, typically. But their note managed to get the group rolling because retail stocks... Let's just say they were ripe for the buy. Davidson's thesis, four parts. The mall's not dead, merchant talent matters more than ever, brand power rules, and product positioning has a real impact. Now, notice, these are not new concepts. They've been buoying the retail cohort for months and months, but with the group taking a break in recent weeks because of the tariffs, it was time for a new look, and the thirst for these warmed-over ideas was downright incredible. What do I mean by warmed-over? The most highlighted names of the piece are TJX up 46%, Burlington up 34%, and Canada Goose up 101% for the year. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more vibrant set of stocks to push. These are three amazing performers that had stole out of late, though. Yet today, they rocketed higher thanks to this one little push. TJX gaining a buck and change. Burlington and Canada Goose both gained more than five bucks. Believe it or not, I think Canada Goose is best of the bunch simply because we're going to the best time of the year for this maker of fancy fur-lined coats and parkas. I know Canada Goose has been diversifying away from winter wear, but this is still the season there's practically synonymous with. And look, it's not just one piece of research. I think this retail thesis has real legs because of the earnings reports we got from Nike last night. I know when you see an iconic stock like Nike get slammed, at one point it was off nearly three bucks for rebounding to close a dollar lower, you assume that, hey, that stock's telling you business can't be as strong as thought. But then you would be dead wrong. You can't take your cue from the auction like like that. I mean, come on. Because sometimes the market makes mistakes. In the case of Nike, the stock had already soared, even after today's decline, by the way, it's up nearly 34% for the year. You know, that's the best performing stock in the Dow. Going into the quarter, there had been this wisp developing that the controversial Colin Kaepernick ads have produced some bountiful returns for the company. Many traders bet that CEO Mark Parker would talk directly about how sales picked up because of the Kaepernick campaign. Of course, there was no need for Parker to say anything. In reality, Nike's sales are incredibly strong anyway. But he didn't give the traders the grist they wanted, so they dumped the stock en masse, creating the impression that something was wrong. It was just an impression. Here's what matters to me, though. Nike's U.S. customers were not deterred from buying some very expensive sneakers. Hey, don't forget, that's Nike's real stock and trade. And that's good news. Shows you that the retailer the retailer is doing well and the consumer is spending Be like crazy, and there's more. This morning, Oppenheimer upgraded GoPro of all things, saying it's time to capture the upside. They argue that inventories are low and the stock's ready to run, fueled by new products that could strike a chord with the consumer. Now we got to put this all together, right? This is a pastiche we got to identify. The tariffs haven't hurt yet. The mall's not dead. The discounters are still working, as are expensive shoes, coats, and gadgets. That makes fund managers want to buy everything from Nike retailer Foot Locker to Best Buy, which sells a lot of GoPros, to Canada Goose, which rallied nearly 10% today. That's right. When there's nothing new, you just circle back to the old, a special antidote to the Fed blues. As silly as this sounds, take it from this old hedge fund manager, that's exactly how bored traders operate. And it's why retail managed to buck the gravitational pull of the averages today. Let's take some calls. Let's go to John in Pennsylvania. John. Hi, Jim. Long time. Second time. How you doing? I'm doing real well, John. uh, Johnson, Pennsylvania. I'm all the way out here. Great to talk to you. How can I help? I'm calling about Urban Outfitters. It was up nicely today, but it's down almost 20 percent from its recent highs. Is this a good time to accumulate more shares, sit tight, or should I take this opportunity to sell into the rally? No, I don't want you to sell in the rally. I think that it's a multi year story. Remember that it's a fashion story. And that company's got a great handle on fashion. All three legs of the stool have been doing quite well. I think this urban decline is a decline you want to buy. All right, out with the new. It's called the circle of trading. Traders always go back to the stocks that have worked before, but if they've been resting. They're ready to go. Turn on Mad Money. Attention passengers, this is your captain speaking. I'm sitting with the CEO of United Continental to let you know if it's time to board the stock, which did Dyson today. Then VMware is up more than 20% this year. Is it just getting started, though? I'm finding out what's ahead for this cloud king. And I'm unboxing boxing Box to see if the stock's recent decline could present a prime buying opportunity. So stick with Kramer. So sanguine about this economy, look at the transports, the companies that represent the beating heart of American commerce. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the raging bull market in the railroad stocks, but it's not just the rails. Even the airlines are surging here, especially United Continental. Despite the rising cost of jet fuel, this stock has been a juggernaut. It's up 25% over the last three months, as the company's been able to deliver some terrific numbers. How do they do it? Some of it's the bullish backdrop, but it's also the company itself. As United Continental has been doing a lot of things right, like embracing Salesforce.com's technology to make itself a more efficient operator, among many other things. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Oscar Munoz. He's the CEO of United Continental Holdings. Learn more about his company's prospects. And Oscar, welcome back to the show. Good to see you. Nice to have you. Alright, this is something you told me you promised when you came in. You said, we're going to get the planes running on time, we're going we're gonna to improve efficiency, we're going to change your reputation. It all paid off an actual earnings per share, didn't it?
0: It sure did. You know, it's uh, as you know, we've known each other for a long time, and we did this at another company. It's the same concept. What you have to find what the secret sauce is. What is it that you're trying to fix? In the rails, it was about too much capacity and pricing, and getting the pricing up. But always underpinning all of that is your people and the service that you provide to folks. And then with that, you build a great team, find the right focus. Uh, for us at United, as, as we talked about before, it's about the uniquely United necessity to grow, and we just hadn't grown for so long period of time. It's always a top line business, and so. Uh, that, plus our improving customer service, has really been a catalyst for what we are today. Now, you
1: have not been hurt, even though I'm sure, but look, your president, Scott Kirby, said fuel prices can have the same impact as a downturn, but your stock's been flying in the face of higher fuel costs. How's that possible?
0: Well, I'll tell you, and uh, we're, on, we're marching towards being able to recapture a, a, a lot of the fuel costs that we've increased. Uh, part of that is, the, as you mentioned earlier, the, 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 the burgeoning economy, but it's also been our ability to grow, to grow in the markets, provide product and services that your customers want, and then efficiency. I've got 90,000 people that are all about being efficient and caring when it comes to taking care of our customers. Now,
1: at the same time, they have had benefit from some things. There's a recent uh, hike in baggage I mean, that's necessary. Uh, that's something that consumers may not want, but it's important for profitability or service improvement?
0: It's important to reinvest in the business. Okay. That, I think it's one of the things about this industry that people, our customers, don't always understand. All that money that we're getting back is being piled back into the business. You've been around for a while. you seen where airlines have gone bankrupt. You've seen the poor product and the poor service, and for God's sake, poor safety in some cases. We're not about that. We pile that money back into the business for the right things.
1: Now, one of the things that uh, has kind of been, is very counterintuitive. We have all these trade issues, but I understand that Pacific, the Pacific area has been really growing for you. And uh, how can you explain that versus what we hear in the
0: papers? We have a really smart group of people some that know is. where they, 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 you know, it's like you gotta fish where the fish are. Right. And they're just constant fishermen, to use that silly analogy and you know we we just fly everywhere in the world we have contacts we have relationships and we always understand when something's moving nicely and that's where we go
1: i'm always concerned that there's going to be too much capacity coming on and that's going to make you have fair wars it seems like it's steady right now though.
0: well that was the concern you were coming off a stage i was raising okay. us uh, coming onto the stage and i think that was the concern in january And right. i think what we kept telling folks it's just not about the capacity but we also gave EPS growth for the next three years, and it's a balance. It's just not about growth; it's about our earnings.
1: In all the years I've been following the airline industry, bought my first airline stock in 1982. I've got to tell you, I've never seen balance sheets like this. Here's some uh, statistic that jumped out at me: 215 in 2015, you had 376 million, uh, million shares. 2018, 275 million. I mean, you guys are lucrative. It's not like the old days,
0: is it? We're a real business, maybe. Right? <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, so, no. Listen, across the industry, balance sheet strength has been great. Uh, we we brought debt down uh, we're providing uh, sort of a lot of returns to to investors with capital and but we're always mindful of the history and we always keep a nice balance of cash because at some point in time anything can happen
1: i, I gotten used to uh, candidly united continental labor issues i, I don't hear that anymore what uh, just yeah i know nothing just goes away
0: no listen i think one of the first things i did was to regain the trust of our employees. which is why we're here at Salesforce. Trust is the underpinning of a lot of things that we do. And that doesn't compute, as you know, on spreadsheets, but it's such an important part and foundation for everything we've been able to do. And so we've built a connection and engagement level that's built on trust with our frontline employees. And uh, we know we continue to move forward. It's never, never, ever uh, an ending project with uh, with keeping them engaged and motivated, but we're doing a good job at the I
1: I know that you have numbers in this. I'm just trying to figure it out. Does it matter? Let's say some people say, oh, geez, on time, not on time. There's no competition. But I think people can choose Continental versus another carrier, right, at various times. And if you do better, you get planes on time more, they will switch to you.
0: Listen, we're united. And, and of all the customer service engagements and all the, rhetoric, all the information that comes back and forth, being on time, getting me where you told me you'd get me on time is still one of the more crucial things. After that, your seat, your, 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 your coffee, your cookie, all comes after that. But on time. And the next thing, that's the next big thing we're really working on is we want to make you as our customer feel good about flying us. And so our customer centricity, our customer properties are, are something we really want to sort of engage in. We're going to do all sorts of great things next year. You will hear from us next year, literally every week. A drumbeat of constant customer-oriented engagements that we're doing that we're rolling out across the system. I, I can tell you that they're almost weekly because we have them all planned, but from digital space to product offerings to, to just new announcements, new routes, we're really excited about the next year. Now,
1: I get the technology upgrades. Uh, yeah, I get the update on my, uh, the techs. Right, we're out here to talk about customer relations management. Now, you're going to be giving a, a keynote address. Uh, what are some of the things that you can just tell us? Give us a, a little insight about what you're doing with these new platforms Platforms, Because if, if you just hadn't, if you didn't have any customer relations technology, I guess you would just have to fall beyond person. Oh,
0: listen, it's, it's, it's such a digital world. Right. We, we need right. to restress the, 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 the travel lifestyle. And how do we make you, how do we keep you informed? How do we keep you mo- uh, focused and directed when something goes wrong? But more importantly, before you even leave uh, your house, you know your flight's on time, you know where you're headed. So there's a whole host of communicative issues and then back doors, things you don't see. We're untethering our folks from their work and being able to be out in front and really focus. So we'll be making a lot of those announcements over the course of next year. We're we're really excited.
1: Uh, Atlantic seems very
0: strong right that continues to be a, a lucrative place for for united kind of make some money no no see around the world for us other than latin america which has been a little soft right. um, it's it's been a, just a great market the economy's been run, running great and uh, we're flying a lot more places we're in san francisco this beautiful backdrop that you have here it's one of our great portal cities we usually go east we usually go to paris we've started so many new flights from here to europe to tel aviv to all the different places uh, on that side of the world and it's a, it's kind of exciting to be able to have enough level of uh, of money that we can reinvest and provide this service to our customers.
1: Last question. Did you ever think it would be like this? I mean, when you came in, I have to tell you, I mean, that stock in the 60s, that terrible videotape, obviously not your fault, could have happened to anybody, but did you ever think that you could be flush, running an on-time airline and getting so the customers are back?
0: You know what? It's easy to say in these times where, oh, I I never had a doubt, but you know what? You've watched this before. We've done this before at different places. You get a great team. You get a focus, and you get your vet your own internal things, and you know where you're Headed, and you know, more importantly, what's your best competitive asset. And for us, it's our 90,000 people around the world. And with that, it gives me great conviction. Congratulations Thanks for, for all us. your success. All I appreciate right. it. That's Oscar
1: Munoz. He's the CEO of United Continental Holdings, best stock in the group. And why not? You just heard why. Everybody's back after the break. We're through the Fed, but now Canada's the next focus. Holy cow. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
0: At Fidelity, online U.S. stock and ETF trades are commission-free. $0 commission for online retail Fidelity account, U.S. equity, and ETF trades. Sell order assessment fee and some account types and securities excluded. See fidelity.com commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE, SIPC.